Welcome to Make Your Marketing. I'm your host, Pia Larson, Chief Imagination Officer here at Fingerprint Marketing. Just like other small business owners, I had to learn how to navigate marketing and found there was no such thing as an automatic when it comes to driving your business. You need to know how to shift. That said, there's no reason to stall or come to a stop. With the right guide, you can be in the driver's seat and lapping your competition in no time. Welcome to the Make Your Marketing Podcast. You guys are going to want to listen up to this episode. I have Melina Palmer on today's episode. And not only have I been following her for quite a while, and she's amazing at what she does, but she has a new book out that I got to tell you, Melina, I have been taking so many notes on my Kindle. (laughs) <laughs> it's been amazing. So let me tell you a little bit about Melina. She's the founder and CEO of The Brainy Business. What they do is they provide behavioral economics consulting to businesses of all sizes around the world. And if you haven't heard her podcast, it's called The Brainy Business. It's amazing. She's been downloaded in over 160 countries, sorry. And she's also worked in corporate marketing and brand strategy. So she's a girl after my own heart. And her book that just came out, what, May 11th, I think? Yeah. Yeah. So it is called what your, help me out with this. Uh, what your customer wants and can't tell you. So I obviously can't tell you because I can't read. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So you probably get this all the time, but my favorite quote, because I love how you, you paint pictures for people, right? Because when we have pictures, we understand things better. And so your definition of what behavioral economics is super clear. And it's just the formula of if psychology and traditional economics had a baby, that would be behavioral economics. Yeah. So you boil it down to that, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's essentially why do people buy and and understanding the brain. Exactly. Yeah. Just everything in the way that I communicate in my podcast and in the book and all along the way when I'm teaching, consulting, I really want the people that are listening and taking it in that want to go and apply the information to get all of what they need and none of the extra stuff that is not relevant for them in that moment. And so making it as simple as possible to say, oh, I get that. And then you can just yeah. keep going forward. That's really my goal. Which interestingly enough is how our brain works. Anyway, yeah. Right. <laughs> Amazing. <It's- laughs> Yeah. So in your book, thanks for not, I I didn't get any sleep last night, by the way, because I was up reading it. Ah. Um, I'm like highlighting all these uh, great statistics, but 99% of our decisions are controlled by our unconscious. That was huge for me. Yeah. And really understanding how the brain works is so important in then all the other concepts making sense and being ready to start testing and using them. So I also like to talk about how, you know, our brain, it's like a a gatekeeper or receptionist is this subconscious 
piece of the brain, which is doing so much all the time and filtering through and saying, that's normal. I have a rule for that. I know how to do this. I know how to do that. Trying to do as much as it can. And then every so often something comes up where it goes, um, that's weird. I don't have a rule for that. And so you get to that busy executive, you know, the receptionist will let something through in that process. And then the logical brain gets to step up and do something. We like to think that that logical conscious pieces in our brain, you know, is doing most everything and like, sure, the subconscious is there, but meh, you know, but really, it's running the show. So understanding those rules that the receptionist is using to make a decision can really help you better communicate, whether it's with customers, with your coworkers, bosses, with yourself and understanding why you do stuff. And so that's what the book is aimed to help with. Yeah, fantastic. It's got so many good tidbits in it. And also what I love about the book too, is it gives you real life examples of how you can use it, especially for myself and my audience in business, right? Everyone has been taught to just talk about your features and benefits. And, you know, here are the sales tips and everything. But I don't think we've really, with all the information these days, captured what is really going on in the consumer mind to that to the level that you bring it to. Can you talk a little bit about why that's important? I mean, for growing your business and standing out? Absolutely. And I mean, understanding the difference between features and benefits, and why one works is is important. Then really the next step being in the benefit, how do you talk about that benefit? Why is it a benefit? What's the behavior you're actually trying to change? And, you know, there's a concept and it's one of my favorites in the book. I talk about 16 of these concepts or brain rules, and there are well over a hundred of them, but I picked 16 to keep it limited (laughs) and reasonable (laughs) for the reader. But framing comes up first because I think it's one of the easiest to go in and start testing with and see what happens. You don't need additional budget. There's nothing else really that you need to change. And you can just see how it starts to work. So an example, this being how you say something matters much more than what you're actually saying. So I love the example of going to the grocery store. There are lots of grocery store examples (laughs) in behavioral science. (laughs) Uh, But this one being, you know, it's time to buy some ground beef. You know, you're making spaghetti tonight and you go in and you see that there are two stacks next to each other. And one is labeled as 90% fat free. And the stack next to it is labeled as 10% fat. Which one sounds better? And do you feel like you want to buy? Um, I'm going to answer that because yeah. I haven't read that part. Oh, so okay. I would say the 90%. Right. And everybody says that 90% fat free sounds so much better. It's the same thing, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's the s- two sides of the same coin, but like 10% fat, you go, ugh, like I haven't been able to get to the gym in like 18 months now, you know, <laughs> and where's that going to be going? Whereas 90% fat free, you think, oh, what a great choice I'm making for myself and my family. I'm so wonderful. It's exactly the same. Logically, we know it, but you can't like tell yourself that the subconscious already made a decision that it wants this one, even if you can't really articulate it well. So when you think about numbers or other language, whatever it is that you're putting out that that difference, looking to see where are you talking about something as 10% fat, quote unquote, um, instead of and if you were to change it just to be 90% fat free language, that it could convert so much better, even though you're saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. 
You talk about in the book, people are making their decisions based on past experiences. Mm -hmm. So because most of our brains are kind of wired the same, how does that change? Because now I have to figure out what your past experiences are, or how does that work? (laughs) The nice thing is, because we're all human, and a lot of these rules have been developed over generations and thousands of years and whatnot, um, we have some generalities that can be used. While it would be great to say that this always works exactly this way every single time and you do it just like this and it will blanket happen, that's never really the case. And there's a lot going on in our brains, but things like framing and looking to see and say, what is I want someone to do this. This is the goal of this piece. I want them to click. I want them to subscribe, whatever. And so when you know what that is, then you can start testing some of these different concepts. We do have some that come into play based on our own personal life that our Mm -hmm. brain is still going to develop rules and habits around. And there's a chapter on habits in the book as well. But if you think about like setting up your kitchen, right? So, you know, instinctively when you've lived somewhere for a long time or you've had it set up a certain way. This is where the spoons are. This is where the cups are. If you've ever then you move into a new house or you're on vacation and you're used to the cups being over by the dishwasher and they're by the fridge in this place now, and it just feels wrong. It's not like, you know, cups just started growing out of that (laughs) cabinet, Right. right? You put them there at one point and you went to them enough that the subconscious was able to set up a rule to say, this is where we go for cups. And you don't really have to think about it consciously to go get them. Our brains, we're all making 35,000 decisions every single day. And if you had to do that consciously, we wouldn't get anything done. And so a lot of those simple things become rules in the subconscious. So some of it is personalized. A lot of it, though, is in this general, as a species, we tend to herd. We like to do what others have done before us. And uh, we like, we give back when someone gives us a gift, you know, those sorts of things. So hearing you talk about that, I'm going to make an assumption, you correct me if I'm wrong. But this is where it would be advantageous to really know your audience or your Mm -hmm. avatar or your target market, right? Because you're getting inside their brain of what their global experience is with their needs, right? Yeah, definitely. And you can look in the sort of chicken egg world. So it's possible to say, and the entire last part of the book, it's, it's divided into four parts. The last part is like eight pages, but it's really important. And it's called don't get (laughs) stuck, right? And so this is as you start to internalize everything that's being talked about here, it's possible to be like, whoa, that's too much. I'm going to just read some more. I'm going to do some more. I'm going to investigate more before I go try to do something. So in this sort of like chicken egg world, it's very possible that you would take on a, it's a bias. It's called bike shedding or a tactic that the brain uses to where you're going to focus on something that feels super important, but is keeping you from actually doing the big thing. So if you don't know or have good analytics to be able to find out about who your customer actually is and a lot of the psychographics and things that you would like to have. And it feels like I can't start testing any of this until I know that. Instead, you can get an idea of who you think your ideal customer is and how you would communicate to them. So this 
persona work, right, that has been done over time, probably familiar with that. But if you really dial in on who they are, and what they need, how they're going to be internalizing stuff, maybe talk to a couple people that are your best clients or customers, and see just about them do a little bit of this like qualitative research that's not going to take eons of time, and get an idea for who they are, then you can develop the messaging and know that you want to be tracking moving forward if you are actually attracting the right people as you go. Yeah. So I'm hearing a lot of testing in in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Testing what's working and what's not. So that's super important a super important takeaway. Let's move on to talking about brand. You talk about brand and how it plays in people's minds um and the conversation they're having in their brain. Um how important is it to learn about what you're teaching and how people or business owners can improve their brand experience knowing what you're what you're sharing with us? So the brand experience is incredibly important and the book kicks off really looking at the difference between businesses and brands. And I include a quote from Peter Steidel that I really love, which is that a brand is a memory. And Mm, all of our experience with a company has to do with kind of what has come before because of that way that our brains process information. And so being able to look back and think about those experiences, how they move on top of each other. I like for people to think about, you know, your favorite brands, you know, so whatever comes to mind, often, you know, we get Disney, Starbucks, Amazon, whatever. I like Kate Spade. Yeah, Apple. But you automatically have a response, like my favorite is this. And you didn't really think about it too much. Maybe you did at one point. Uh, But why are they your favorite? If you stop and actually investigate and think about the experiences you could have with them, and maybe something bad happens that if it was a different brand, you would shun them forever. But if it was a Disney thing, you'd give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, like the first date versus you know, your significant other doing something (laughs) annoying, uh, you're not going to kick them to the curb, likely, (laughs) (laughs) or something like that. So understanding that experience is really important. And there are a couple chapters on concepts like uh, surprise and delight and the peak end rule uh, in the concepts section that help to look at that overall experience, again, in a way that's not overwhelming to where you feel like you have to do every single moment to perfection. Thankfully, when we evaluate if something was good or bad, we really just look at two main moments, which is that biggest peak, be it positive or negative, and yeah. the end, most recent. Yeah. And and I think there's a section in there that talks about, you know, you can get away with some kerfuffles if right. you have a strong brand, um, yes. which I think most of us know by now. But I also think there was a conversation about in one of your podcasts about people resonating more with delight than fear. Because I know back in the day when I studied advertising, it was, you know, you're either instilling fear or desire, right, for your advertising. Can you tell me why why people tend to resonate with the reward versus the fear? So there are actually two different factors at play in that. So 
humans are actually much more loss averse than we are attracted to a game. And so it's twice as likely to be motivated by avoiding a loss than we are to have a potential gain down the line. And so then when you look at the way you frame something, going back to a concept we already talked about, if you can frame it as a loss, which doesn't have to be negative, you Mm. can encourage behavior. I like to give the example of a lot of financial institutions. I have a background in uh, that financial space. You'll send something like, you know, use your card 20 times this month and we'll give you $50. Okay, cool. That's down the line. Maybe I'll do something. $50 is a lot. Cool. Maybe I'll do something with it. And then you forget because it's not that motivating. If instead you say, hey, we put $50 in your account. If you use your card 20 times this month, you get to keep it. Because you now have some perceived ownership over the $50 and it's all on the up and up. There's like available balance versus current balance that we don't need to get into. But you see it and you're thinking, ooh, like there's a pair of shoes I want or whatever, you start to gain that ownership over it. And the idea of losing it is much more motivating than this potential gain somewhere out into the future. So that's one aspect um, where you can use the frame of something as avoiding a loss is much more motivating, even if it's not negative. That doesn't feel bad to you if you don't do it, right? The other piece being when we talk about surprise and delight. So delight is much more influential on behavior than being merely satisfied. And when we're looking to drive loyalty, which is what's tied directly to profitability, it's motivated by a delightful experience. So the problem of what most businesses do when they're thinking about trying to track how loyal their customers are is you ask were you satisfied on a scale of one to 10? How satisfied were you with this? (laughs) There's no like super satisfied that makes you want to go jump for joy because it's expected. So when you have an expectation, all you can ever be is satisfied. And that's not like, I'm going to go tweet about like, hooray, I went to the ATM and I asked for $80 and it gave it to me. (laughs) Amazing, yeah. right? The, yeah. There's there's no version of that that works. Whereas if something delightful happens where you're so, it was unexpected and it was amazing and you're so excited and you want to go tell everybody, it's something that is on that subconscious processing level and that unexpected and it can make you very excited and likely to share with others. We get into some brain chemicals of dopamine release and everything that helps with that too. But that's doesn't that play into novelty as well because novelty mm-hmm. will well because we're so used to just driving without even knowing how we got there and then if something's off it attracts our attention which i think more businesses need to learn how to how to do well because that's how you stand out from the competition, exactly right? yeah our brains are attracted to novelty and we love stories and then you get when it's good storytelling you get some oxytocin going and and all that yeah. that's valuable too, which helps with trust, which again, goes back to overall brand experience. Yeah, that's great. So many of our clients we work with on their websites, I know I'm Mm -hmm. jumping around. So pardon me, there's just so much, so many things (laughs) that we can talk about. And I know they all kind of tie in together. Let's say I'm a business and I want to grow my business and I have my website, obviously, we have our calls to action and everything. What are some of the things that 
as a business owner, I can look at my website and kind of question based on what I'm learning from you that would be easy to fix or change? So the first would be, of course, looking at the the framing piece is something that you can definitely do. I have an episode of the podcast. It's actually the second episode I ever did. And it's one of them. It's the second most downloaded episode of all time still, even, you know, three years in now. It's called the top five wording mistakes businesses make. And I would say to check that out. (laughs) Uh, But really, and then this ties back into specific concepts. But one thing that people do more often than anything else is you're trying to do too much in too little of space. And so you have too many words, you have too many directions you're trying to put someone into and not enough calls to action. So to say this page has a function, what is it? What is someone trying to do at this time? And how can we say that in the least amount of words as possible to get them to the next step? And so if you have a question ever, I like to say this to people, if you ever wonder if it's too many words, the answer is yes. No matter how many it is, it's too many. (laughs) If you're not sure, (laughs) you can always cut it back a little bit. And it's a good experiment to go in and do, but cutting out. It's not easy though. It's not easy. That's why they pay. That's why they pay the copywriters the big bucks, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then you can, you know, getting back to testing, websites are a great opportunity to test stuff. So you can look at the color of a button or the font size or where the button happens to be, what it says on the button, the way that you frame the headline, the imagery that you use. Caveat, do not try to test it all at once. (laughs) So that's (laughs) you, if you do that, uh, my colleague at the um, head of the uh, Human Behavior Lab at Texas A&M University, where I teach, he talks about if you have a headache and you take eight things at once, you, your headache might go away, but you have no idea which one did anything. So in the future, yeah. you just always have to take all eight. And so if you look at the headline and just test it for a week or a month, you know, know how much traffic you're getting, <laughs> but to get yeah. an idea and see if it makes a difference. And then pick the one that worked best and then test something else or try another headline. But you can be continually doing these little tests that can help to see what's working on on your website or in social engagement posts, things like that. Yeah, even as simple as changing the wording on your call to action, Mm -hmm. you know, versus read instead of read me open more active verbs for calls to action. Yeah, personalization matters a lot as well. And that doesn't have to be Melina, blah, blah, blah. But to say people like you do this, like, Mm -hmm. so herding instincts, again, we like to do what others have done. So when you can incorporate, this is called social proof, when you have the stars or reviews or testimonials of what other, other people who are smart like you have gone in and done this and they think it's a good idea. Uh, That's very motivating for getting people to take an action. So that's one thing to make sure you have included. We also have mirror neurons in our brain to where if we see someone do something, we can learn from it. Feels like we've done it already. It's easier to go and do ourselves. So when you see the videos of like unboxing or Mm -hmm. showing how you would use something or continually like the mouse moves over and clicks subscribe and it kind of looks like it clicks and it feels unnecessary. 
conscious on the logical brain, you think, I don't need something like that. People know how to subscribe. I'm not going to talk down to them by including yeah. this. No, no, no. Because <laughs> our brains <laughs> really learn from that. And it feels like we've done it before. And it makes it easier to move forward. So if you have a physical product, something that you can show, this is how we use it, our senses are going to take all that in. And it makes it easier to then continue the action, even something as simple as click buy now, and you see the little mouse clicking on buy now, uh, showing someone where they go to buy how that process works. It all is very influential. That's super interesting. I've seen it used in um, with GIFs or GIFs, however you want to say it, <laughs> right. where they'll show you like how to do something in a 30 second loop. Mm -hmm. And it's much easier than reading it or having a video, but it's just a little tiny, you know, here's how you do it. And you feel like you've already done it. Yep. So this is all great. I want to ask you about today. So today the internet is exploded. We're on what internet point 3.0 or something like that. <laughs> There's so much information. And obviously the job of the subconscious is to be that filter, right? That, that, so we don't get overwhelmed. How do you think your personal opinion, how do you think with all this information, how it's going to affect our brain, if at all? Well, the thing becomes our brains can only handle as much as they can handle on that like conscious level. So I talked about the 35,000 decisions we're making every mm -hmm. day. Also in that 99% we talked about with the subconscious uh, to look at that a different way, your so your subconscious can make, if you were to think about it like a computer, can process mm -hmm. 11 million bits of information per second, which is a lot. Lots going on there, right? <laughs> uh, your conscious can only handle about 40 bits, not like 40,000, just like 40 at the end compared to 11 million. Huge difference. We don't get to just say now... Like, well, this is really important. So I need a hundred bits of information on the conscious level. And you don't get to choose often what makes it to that level. So if you allow yourself to get overwhelmed and not, you know, write things down or have a plan, you're constantly distracted because our subconscious likes those shiny objects to where it's going to get dopamine and oxytocin and all these things that it likes. You can kind of get in this never moving forward and getting things done. It feel it may feel like you're always busy, but you're never actually moving forward. And so having those, you know, limiting your goals, knowing what you're supposed to be working on right now and holding yourself to that, turning off notifications on your phone or whatever that is. There's a really great book by Nir Eyal called Indistractable. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed him. I yeah, I interviewed him on my podcast. He's amazing. Uh, so highly recommend. There's great tips in there. You can either listen to the episode or, or check out the book. Yeah, and I will put uh, links to a couple of the episodes that you've mentioned um, on this show. Um, so what you're saying is that despite the fact that we have billions of more pieces of information, it's not like our brain is like, oh, I'm just going to upload to a different iOS or a different, <laughs> like, you know, a more expansive brain, right? <laughs> uh, maybe, but it'll take a really, 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 really long time. So we can't yeah. catch up with as fast as technology has grown. Our brains can't 
do that, which is, you know, we still react to a lot of stimuli as if it is attacking us just like we would a tiger or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, so those rules are having to adapt. And so pop-ups and ads and you go, Ugh, you know, that's, we're reacting to those as if we would other natural threats. Yeah, that's funny. That's the same reaction everyone gives me when I say, we'll put a pop-up. It's like, right. they work. They still work. Right. <laughs> Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to you about pricing. I know that that's a big part of the work that you do, but can you give us some tips on pricing for business owners out there and maybe some small changes in the way that they price things? Yeah. So getting back to, I talked a little bit about bike shedding being the thing Uh where you focus on that feels so important, but is not, and is actually distracting you from the big thing. So all the things that happen before the price, matter more than the price itself. So that framing, uh, the way we use priming, which can be imagery or words that get us down the path of what we're trying to accomplish. All this stuff matters, but people tend to really focus on the granular of, I need to know if my price should end in a five, seven, nine, or a zero. And that until I know that perfect price, I don't need to do any of this other stuff. I I can wait to raise my prices until I learn this or whatever that is. So I can tell you now, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> the, the rule being, if you are a gift or a luxury item, typically end with the zero, that kind of whole number. Um, and that's all fine. If you're going to be rounding down knowing that that means it's you're triggering a discount idea, looking at that kind of budget item if you want it to feel smaller, which is totally fine. uh, But it's a brand decision to be sure, then it doesn't really matter if you go with that 579 research has shown, eh, you know, it's mostly fine across the board, and easy to go with there. Regardless, one really great tip that people tend to like is to know that commas and decimal points make numbers feel larger and more painful to someone. So instead of writing it as 1,999.99, it feels Mm -hmm. like a bigger number than just 1,999 when you write it out. And so removing that extra punctuation makes a big difference. And if you have an option even to remove the dollar sign or, you know, pound or yen or whatever you're charging in, uh, no, you'll notice a lot of menus now don't include I was just say, yeah. that. And it's because it removes a lot of that pain of paying on the brain as well. Yeah. Because in the end, objections really aren't around the price, are they? When people are selling? People might say that that's what the problem is. And this is the what your customer wants and can't tell you because the subconscious is doing so much and the conscious and subconscious don't speak the same language. Even if you ask people, and you, so people might be listening now and saying, well, I ask and people tell me it's because it's too expensive. Just because someone says that and consciously that's why they think they're not buying from you, it's not necessarily the reason. There's something else that's happening further back in that buying process that you could evaluate to help. Because when we see something that's a great value, we splurge on stuff. We get excited about things Mm -hmm. all the time. And someone would say, well, why did you buy Kate Spade being an example? Like, why would you buy that Mm -hmm. multi hundred dollar purse instead of just 
the cheap one. You know, it's just a functional bag, but it's not for me, right? <laughs> it's a statement yeah. to who I am. And I could justify that all day long as to why it's worth it, even though it's much more expensive because that brand matters to me. So understanding, you know, that step back, moving backward is important as you determine your what your customer needs, what is going to motivate them, what's going to get them delighted and excited and wanting to move forward. And then, yeah, price is not really about price. Yeah. And then once they do sign on the dotted line, one, one of the most helpful things I've found is if they're a long-term client is interviewing them. What was you know, in your mind when you had this problem and, and how have you, like, why'd you, I always ask people, why'd you choose us? Right. Um, they might not be able to articulate it the best way, but they still, it seals the experience that I've found. So. Yeah. It's good to still ask. So even though it's just, you know, ask questions to uncover something you might not have been thinking about. I'm a big fan of observational research as well. So if you have something to where you can watch someone using your product or watch that buying experience, and they're not having to explain to you why they did something. Uh, but you are able to to ask why, why'd you do this? And then they say, well, because of that, and you go, that's it. Like, tell me more about that. A lot of open ended questions don't just take that first statement as you know, the gospel truth. That's a great piece of advice. Just keep asking questions yeah. to the point where you think you've asked them all. Just ask one more, right? Yeah, so I'm going to ask, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to ask you two more. I would love to know what your favorite word is. My favorite word I would say is thoughtful. So I, you said you listen to the podcast. So I end every episode with be thoughtful. My mm -hmm. email signature is that as well. And so thoughtfulness and being thoughtful is top of my list, I'd say. That's very on brand. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, and then my last question is, knowing all this about the brain now, what would you say to your younger self? Hmm. The In general, I like to just sort of say that whatever the dream is, whatever you think is the top or the cap or the biggest you can be, it's not even close to how much could be accomplished and what could be done. So dream bigger and set smaller tasks to get there. Wow, that is great. I love that. <laughs> thanks, Melina, for joining us. I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, guys, thanks so much for listening to the Make Your Marketing podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit our website for show notes and additional episodes at makeyourmarketingpodcast.com. Hey, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and please consider rating and reviewing. This helps other potential listeners find us and share the goodies with them. And by the way, you can also email me because I'd love to hear from you. Email me at pia at fingerprintmarketing.com with feedback, questions, a topic, anything that you want to chat about. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.